Welcome to the edge of the world. White clouds curl over the vast lush expanse of Austria and Germany. Through the portal window, the earth appears to be a flat disk with an upturned edge. This is how the curvature of the earth appears from the stratosphere, almost 10 miles into the sky. It is 1931 and Auguste Picard is the first man ever to see the spectacular sight. A six foot six man with tiny round spectacles with wild black hair, packed in a tiny pressurized cabin of his own invention. Picard is equal parts scientist and adventurer. He has ventured in the sky for science, not glory alone. He is there to measure cosmic rays, a phenomenon predicted by his friend Albert Einstein. After reaching these impossible heights, Auguste traveled in the opposite direction, inventing the deep sea bathyscaphe. Auguste's son Jacques used this extraordinary technology to reach the bottom of the Challenger Deep in the Mariana Trench. The family first held world records for both the highest flight and the deepest dive in history. And it wouldn't be long before another Picard was back in the air. I'm Clara Bertrand, your host for Founding Conversation, a podcast sharing ideas and insights for understanding and improving the modern world. In this episode, we take a close look at the emerging technologies helping the aviation industry become more efficient, cost-effective, and sustainable. From alternative fuels to autonomous aircraft, now is the time new markets and investment opportunities take flight. Joining us are modern-day pioneer Andres Boschberg, co-founder and executive chairman of H55, who completed the first ever round-the-world solar flight with Solar Impulse, a company he co-founded with Bertrand Picard, the grandson of Auguste and son of Jacques. We also welcome Matthew Parr, Customer Director for Rolls-Royce Electrical, and Christian Rosing, Co-Portfolio Manager of the Clean Energy Strategy for Pictet Asset Management. This episode is moderated by Ben Robinson, founder of Aperture. Without corrective action, the aviation industry's contribution to global emissions could grow from 2 to 3% where they are today to as much as 20% by 2050. Do you think that aviation can limit this growth in emissions without also limiting the growth in passenger numbers? It's an enormous challenge. For aviation, we have something like 600,000 airplanes flying today. We can expect that by 2050, maybe there will be 1 million, not even counting new solutions like the eVTOLs that everybody talks about. Either we uh, transform this airplane and make them clean or rebuild new ones. So uh, if, you, if you look at what's happening today, I think you have different forces at play. So on one side, there is, of course, a big pressure to make aviation clean like every industry. Uh, this may be done by uh, increasing uh, uh, CO2 taxes. Uh, we see countries who start to forbid flights, for example, when the transport can be done using other means like railways uh, below, for example, a duration of two hours. That's what we see uh, now being discussed and maybe soon implemented also in, 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 a, in a country like, uh, like France. Uh, so the pressure is to make the aviation industry move. But we know also that industries don't like to change. And so there has to be motivation. I suppose I wanted to dig a tiny bit into what uh, Andre referred to as motivation, right? Which is 
do you think that economics or maybe to a, to a certain extent customer behavior will be enough to catalyze this shift or do you think also that governments will need to introduce new regulation i would not underestimate at all the, the drive within the aerospace industry to tackle this challenge i think in the past few years in particular we've seen radical shifts in aerospace organizations the need to start to address a route to net zero you know, we had we had uh, rolls royce where, where i'm based i'm very proud that we were the, the first company to sign up to the un pledge the net zero out of the aerospace industry but but more recently we've seen the UN body ICAO established that target for the for the whole uh, of, of, of of the aerospace players. Where, where I see the most need for government support at the moment is is, is more in the regulatory space. So organisations like EASA, FAA, that set the airworthiness standards, are evolving the framework by which we will certify these aircraft, ensure they're safe, and and bring bring them to market. And they're working hard, but that's where we. We need to see the most most focus going forward. There is definitely needs to increase the level of volumes of sustainable aviation fuel that are available in the market, and also bring bring help you know, through that bringing the price point down. And government support in that area, I think, would be would be very well valued. But the move to low carbon fuels, the move to net zero, I think, is embodied across the whole aerospace industry now, and and that that drive is there absolutely. Christian, I want to come to you next, maybe, and talk about investor activism and whether we start to see that, e.g., through ESG investing, and whether that might also act as as a catalyst for for this shift to, to lower emissions. If I think about investor activism, and here in particular, uh, looking at the aviation space, I would say that compared to other uh, sectors that we are in, I think uh, the the activism has been probably uh, lower than in other se uh, segments uh, that we had. Maybe it has to do uh, with uh, the habits or the kind of addiction that we are, uh, that we have to, 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 to flying. Clearly over the last few years, uh, we had other topics uh, also like uh, COVID, you know, where we, the uh, airlines and, and aviation industry was going through a very hard time. But it was also a time where that, that raised questions and uh, that also showed us uh, how a world with much less flying would look like. Uh, it has clearly shown us the, the, the capability of, of uh, video conferences, uh, et cetera. So all that uh, corporates and governance and governments are, are very much now aware of climate change. I think that awareness that we need to do something against climate change has ramped up big time uh, over the last five years. And also here, uh, investors are now uh, increasing uh, also their ESG, the importance of ESG in their own investment. So with that, we see the airlines um, and the aviation industry responding to it. Uh, I think we've seen a, a whole wave last year at COP26 of airlines uh, admitting or uh, uh, committing to, uh, to net zero targets. Uh, what I would say is that uh, many of those targets, uh, when you look at SBTI, so science-based targets well, that's, that they commit uh, with, are uh, still uh, only, there are different levels that you can do and those uh, commitments, or you are just committed or you can commit to well below uh, two, two degrees or uh, commit to one and a half degrees. And we see that very many of them are just committing. So we see that it is still very early stage to commit, to have a really clear path 
on saying, okay, these are the interim milestones. So for now, the commitment is there over the very long term, but why, how do you reach them? This is really the question. So from us, from an energy and transition point of view, uh, aviation is clearly still from an interest point of view uh, and an ESG activism point of view still lower than uh, some of the other segments that we're, that we're looking at in, for example, in, in the clean energy strategy, for example, solar, wind, renewables, efficient manufacturing, green buildings. These are topics that are much more top of mind, actually, uh, in terms of, uh, in terms of uh, interest uh, from, uh, from an investment, uh, also direct point of view in terms of opportunities. But yeah, it's, it's very dynamic and, and societal pressure will uh, continue to increase. And we see like fly scam, et cetera, and on, on social media, et cetera. So pressure will increase also, especially also on private air uh, transport, private jets, et cetera, where here clearly the push towards more sustainable aviation fuels is clearly very top of mind. So much of very dynamic and uh, we expect much more uh, interest and much more activism to come. Great, thank you very much. So the next question is, is the, the hurdle of low battery density. So. As we know, jet fuel has a very high energy density. I'm reading here that it's 12,000 watt hours per kilogram compared to lithium ion batteries. have an energy density of around 250 watt hours per kilogram. So with that in mind, how viable, Andre, is the future of long range aircraft travel powered by battery? Well, it's true that uh, beating oil in terms of energy density is not easy. It explains also why, in fact, how we kept it so long. I think what works in the favor of new technologies such as electric propulsion is the fact that it's extremely efficient. And so you need less energy to achieve the same power or, or of propulsion. Uh, you need maybe twice, maybe three times uh, less. It's the same for uh, for electric cars. I mean, if you compare to uh, a car using combustion engine, so that's that's working uh, in uh, I would say in our in our favor. Then there will not be just one solution, uh, which is going to be the solution to bring aviation and to make aviation clean. Uh, batteries, of course, plays a role, but you can have and we will have certainly at the beginning hybrid electric engines. Uh, we work uh, on, on a project also uh, already to reduce for regional transportation, so aircraft up to 30, 50 seats. Uh, we work now on electric hybrid engine to reduce the energy consumptions by 30%. Uh, so it's going to be a step-by-step -step development. We talk a lot about hydrogen. Uh, hydrogen can be used in different ways, either in a fuel cell or also in a, in a combustion engine. Uh, hydrogen, of course, has to be produced in a clean way so that it makes sense. But there will be potentially the combination of using a fuel cell burning or using hydrogen and producing water and using as well batteries as a buffer. Uh, so this will depend on the application. So today, what we can start with and, uh, and what we are doing is uh, work on applications where the endurance is not very high. For example, flight trainers. All the airplanes used around the world to train pilots and there are a lot of training required today also we go towards unmanned cockpit at a certain stage but it's not it's not the case today this aircraft in fact can be produced today and uh, integrating an electric motor and a battery system being 100 percent clean uh, we also transformed uh, seaplanes in uh, in canada doing short range missions for example, in Vancouver, going to the islands, 
these are flights of up to uh, 30 minutes, so ideal, in fact, for electric, purely electric uh, solution. So over the next 20 years, that's what we will see, in fact, uh, starting with these applications uh, with the low endurance, where it makes sense, working on hybrid solutions when the endurance has to be longer, and starting to develop also solutions for larger airplanes, which will, of course, take more time to get to this, uh, uh, to this level of zero carbon emissions. What is your view about what it will be needed in terms of local electric grid structures? And when considering the extra load requirements, how would a hydrogen model compare? Initially, we, we expect sort of suburbs to in, in, into airfields rather than cross-city. We expect cross-city to go a little, bit, a little bit later on. Where you, you're looking for a fast recharge time of the aircraft. You want, you want that asset operating as many flights during the day as possible. And that, that drives a certain peak demand out of the grid to, to rapidly charge charge the aircraft, which is possible with the battery technology that, that we're investigating. But to manage that peak load, you're either looking at sort of civil engineering installation works, or we believe what will become the preferred solution is, is more of a buffer battery at site. So a containerized energy storage solution that you will you will have in place to sort of trickle charge during the day and fast dump up, up uh, the, the required energy into the aircraft and charge them and send to them operating again. And actually, these, these buffer batteries are a great opportunity for us to, to also manage the sustainability and availability. So that we, we do expect to see a high battery replacement rate within advanced availability. The, the sort of you know, 100,000 mile batteries that we, we hear speak of in, in automotive, it will not be the level of robustness that we will see in an aerospace design. We will need to change the batteries a few times each year within these aircraft to manage the sort of the, the degradation that is experienced through the high demands we give them in terms of those sort of hover, hover functions, et cetera, in the aircraft. But there's still viable batteries into things like energy storage. So moving them off the aircraft, moving them into the ground infrastructure creates a great second life opportunity for us in terms of optimizing both the sustainability and the economics of, of our whole business model. Hydrogen, we, we firmly see coming through. I think there's, there's, a, there's a timeline debate on, on when, those, when those fuel cells will be ready in, in an aerospace application, but we, we believe it's coming. Crucially, though, you know, it's how do we ensure it's clean hydrogen, green hydrogen? How do we, how do we get to the point that it's, it's a full sustainability story because we are expecting the consumers to start to drive in that direction and want to see when they get on an advanced sustainability market as a vehicle that the the whole sustainability life cycle of the asset has been considered in its, in its, in its creation and operation. What does the outlook look like for longer distance? How realistic do you think transatlantic electric travel could be? So when we think about traveling longer distances, uh, we're talking about a more electric solution rather than an all electric. So what we're really looking at is how do we, how do we improve the efficiency of, of the, the gas turbine system through, through increased electrification. So when we, when, we, when we look at the sort of aircraft that travel over the Atlantic, we can improve the efficiency of them somewhere between 2 to 4% by adapting that cycle to, to include more electric technology. That, that might not sound like a lot, but you know, over the past 30 years, we've essentially improved the gas turbine by about 15%. So, so to bring in one technology and able to, to make such a change is, is, is quite an improvement. 
and, and we're looking at incorporating that at the moment in our in our ultra fans demonstration. What does that more electric technology offer? But but for that those sorts of ranges, there is a very uh, strong and, and and viable future for the gas tank. Andre, um, another question for you, please. Which is, how do you view the current challenges around demonstrating that new aviation technology is safe? Will regulation be an enabler or a constraint when it comes to electric or alternative solutions? I think the best way is to uh, have as many electric airplanes flying. Explains our strategy also at H55, starting with the small airplanes. If we can have hundreds of uh, flight trainers flying electrics around, well, first of all, it will reduce the noise around airfields, airports. So I think it's uh, extremely positive. Uh, and uh, second, in each of these aircraft, I mean, we integrate, for example, currently 300 battery modules. Uh, these are single elements. So in one aircraft, you have 300 of them, uh, 300 electronic boards. Uh, you have 100 aircraft. This makes 30,000. You make them fly 100 hours. It makes them, it makes it, if I calculate correctly, something like 3 million uh, module hours. Uh, so just by making this technology fly, that's how we we are demonstrating that it's safe, that it's safe to be integrated into larger airplanes. Uh, so this will be similar technologies. So that's the step-by-step -step strategy that we are implementing. But it needs also to, uh, and it brings also learnings for uh, to the certification authorities, because for them today, it's something which is completely new. Uh, they learn with basically the players in this field. And, uh, and again, uh, for them, by seeing airplanes flying and smaller airplanes are easier to certify, it's simpler. The requirements maybe also are slightly different, so we can cope with uh, some requirements in a, in a different way, in a faster way. And this will help also the authorities to gain confidence about these technologies. Christian, what is your view about when the aviation industry or, or the electric aviation industry will become investable from the point of view of your clean energy strategy? So what we look at, and we have a very clear defined investment process that is the same uh, within the thematic franchise for now, uh, over 20 years since uh, the launch of, of the water fund, for example, we really look at the purity of those companies. So purity for us means what is the percentage of the certain company's activity that can be related to uh, the energy transitions. For example, for if I take the example of a utility, what would be the share of uh, their, uh, in that case, enterprise value or uh, that is related to the renewables or the grid uh, and related clearly to the energy transition. So here we could make the same example. When can we invest into uh, auto manufacturers, for example? When are they clean enough? Uh, and for the aviation industry, it will be exactly the same. When are when it, when can we say that the majority uh, is going already to be uh, electric uh, or on uh, driven uh, or flown on, on on sustainable aviation fuels, for example? So here we would look at enterprise value, but we would also look at what is the direction of the investment. So clearly, our our we want them to be at least uh, thirty percent. So into uh, for example, in in for the case of the utilities, into solar and wind. So this and and the more the companies are on that transition, so we were looking at those leaders, but the ones that are still on that transition, we would make a clear effort uh, to uh, engage with those companies, making sure we do understand the decarbonization plan, that we have a clear milestone, we will engage with them. We may want to make sure that our investor money funds development 
in of solar and wind, or in the case for an aviation, uh, it would have to um, be able to fund uh, really new technology investments and new, let's say, electric airplanes to take that example. So this is a very clear uh, part of that investment process. If you look at the airline or the, the aviation industry as a whole, as an initial step, uh, where there are many technologies that will be uh, probably already the battery technology or, or electric motors or if, if any companies that would be very pure and very directly providing some uh, environmental te uh, technologies or uh, some some innovation to uh, that uh, industry, that would be something where we would be able uh, to invest already uh, way earlier because that would be uh, a pure play. But in terms of aviation, we will want to see capex and uh, a high share of of uh, of, uh, of already uh, electric or sustainable uh, aviations andre so i suppose the, my question to you is have you found it difficult so far to get investment has it has it been difficult do you think that with more investment the industry could move just dramatically more quickly than it can at the moment talking about raising money it's never easy to raise money i think i would be uh joke so so seeing the uh, the uh, the opposite but we got uh, extremely good uh, response and we are getting uh, extremely good response. Uh, we have investors coming from the financial field. I mean, uh, venture capital uh, firms, uh, family offices, but also strategic investors. And for us, strategic investors are important because we need to be able to uh, to play with uh, uh, different type of companies and to make the uh, the product going to uh, to the market. I think people have to realize that, as I said, the potential is huge. Huh? We have these 600,000 aircraft flying. We cannot scrap all of them. Uh, so part will be transformed. Uh, we have now a project to transform the Piper fleet, the Piper Archer fleet. That's 30,000 aircraft flying around the world. Just think about transforming 10 or 20% of them. That's three to 6,000 airplanes, which is huge huh, for the aviation world. So potential is there. Uh, second, with the technology we have on small aviation, now we can make the cost of ownership with an electric airplane cheaper than the cost of ownership of a combustion engine airplane. Why? Uh, because we replace fuel, but we burn three times less energy, like Matthew was, was explaining before. Uh, so the cost of energy is much lower. The maintenance is much lower. So instead of, in fact, sending our our money to the oil producers, we invest this money in technologies. Uh, so an electric aircraft is maybe a little bit more expensive to buy, but much cheaper to operate. And in total, it has to be an attractive proposal. That's what we do. That's the reasons why it's going to take off. Not be because people like a better world or a clean world. Of course they do, but the motivation also has to be economical. Fantastic. So we've, um, we've had a question here about whether we think some of the climate uh, or some of the actions by climate activists have been justified or you know or do you think that these will have any impact in terms of raising awareness or in terms of getting the industry to move quicker or do you think the industry is doing everything it can well if you ask me i think uh, the the activist has an impact on the political world uh, we have seen in switzerland i mean since we have young people in the streets i mean the parties on the right start to have uh, included uh, including the climate issues in their uh, political vision so yes, we need these uh, these these guys because we need to move faster, and it's not just the industry. I think the industry is is has taken conscious and knows that if it wants to survive, it has to come with the right product. 
but the political world also has to bring the other instruments needed to make this transition. I like to bring electricity on airports or in cities for cars. That's something that the political world has to make sure is, is available. Matthew, a um, question about the vertical aerospace plane, which will be powered by Rolls-Royce Electric Technology. How positive are you personally about about this technology and about the future and whether this will be technology that's here to stay? The technology that we're developing for the, for the urban air mobility market, which we first seen in that, that vertical aerospace aircraft, is technology that we, that, we, that we have around us today. The challenge we are, we are undertaking is, is, is taking that through a new product introduction program to certification standards and then you know, bring, bringing that to market industrializing. So we're very, very confident about, about the technology that we're bringing forward and that it can enable these, the, the missions that these, these aircraft are trying to undertake. Personally, I'm very privileged to have led a team the past few years that, that built the world's fastest electric plane, which was, was, which was a great opportunity to go break some records, but also a great opportunity to go engage with the public and talk about what this technology can do. And I, 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 it, is, it is here. And, and I think, you know, relating back to the question that recently received on, on, on sort of climate activists, the, the aviation industry is, is, is taking this incredibly seriously. And I think some of the strongest activists for the need of change sit within the aerospace industry as well and are, and are driving the technology programs, driving that, that agenda through. So, yeah, personally, very excited, very positive about what we're doing. And uh, I, I don't have a problem getting up in the morning to come do this, right? This is fundamentally about how we're going to change the way we travel and, and do that so that we're doing it in a sustainable way. Christian, what do you perceive as being the biggest risks around investing in aviation technology today? And what would you like to see in order to become more comfortable of, of some of these risks to be de-risked? Indeed, I mean, the aviation industry as a whole, and again, I'm thinking mostly about airlines clearly, uh, has been definitely a, a complicated one. If I look at in terms of risks, uh, I mean, yeah, unfortunately, there are just so many risks that's, that's, that come into mind. I mean, from the high capital intensity point of view, from the competition point of view, you're competing as an airline with state-owned companies when on an unequal playing field, labor issues, uh, cyclicality, macro, and, and what have you, right? So, And now comes on top of that ESG, that environmental transition that needs uh, to come uh, on top of that. So. Here, uh, and, and for that last one, uh, I think here more uh, regulation uh, or a clear path of regulation will be key to reduce that risk. So uh, overall, when I think about uh, the aviation industry, it has a lot of risk, but it clearly also provides lots of opportunities for those who are the best at managing those risks. We'll see some consolidation with those who cannot manage those risks. Uh, and I can imagine such an energy transition in the aviation uh, industry providing exactly those opportunities. And uh, we are really looking to forward to, to find those opportunities uh, and, and to be investing in that because then you have well, a bigger, biggest addition is that if you have then those companies and you really benefit from that ex incremental secular growth uh, of uh, those companies, you're less impacted by maybe the cyclical the cyclical uh, ups and downs uh, that you would have. And, and this is something that we, the first example we've seen that here is uh, from electric vehicles in 2020, COVID, we've sold more electric vehicles and, uh, than, than the year before. And we would expect uh, the same thing for uh, electric aviation whenever that's, uh, that is ready. So we're looking forward to, to, to that. And uh, that will clearly uh, de-risk those investments.
So um, thank you very much. So then the next question I want to put to both Matthew and to Andre. So maybe we'll start with you, Matthew, which is a, a question about what should. So if, you, if you're pitching to investors, there are pitches, um, investors on this call. What, what are the um, developments uh, around technology and aviation that they should be getting most excited about, do you think, if we haven't already covered those? I wouldn't be focusing only on you know, the, the platforms and the propulsion system. So this, this advanced air mobility market is, is opening opportunities up in infrastructure, maintenance, air traffic management, the whole sort of plethora of what's going to be necessary to go enable mobility services in, in this space. And I think new, new business models as well in terms of how, how this is all delivered. From, from a Rolls-Royce perspective, we're playing to our strengths. So we're focusing on the propulsion system. And equally, we have a, a strong infrastructure play in, in that charging infrastructure that we want to bring through. But I, I think it's there's holistic opportunities here to push push the advanced mobility through. Fantastic. Andre, what would you say um, should be exciting investors? I would focus first on companies which are and will enable the transformation uh, towards clean aviation. So if you look at the market, you have the companies who develop new type of airplanes, specific solutions. You have companies uh, like Rolls-Royce, like, uh, like H55, who are providing solutions to uh, enable the aircraft manufacturers uh, to bring a clean aircraft in the, in the market. Uh, so I think these enablers will be the first showing uh, positive results because they will be part of different projects or diversifying their risk uh, between different solutions and really at the forefront of this, uh, of this transformation. It's interesting to see that we are replacing oil in some ways. Huh? Oil is a constant stream of cash flow and you replace it uh, with an electric motor, with a battery system, and maybe something else on top of it can be a fuel cell or it can be a hybrid solution. But if you think about the battery, the battery has to be replaced. It's to be replaced on a regular basis. So it gives the company a constant stream of cash flow over time, uh, like the oil industry is getting today, but selling, this, uh, selling these technologies. I think what one needs if he wants to get into this market, it needs some patience, but it can be highly rewarded. Because when you get certified with an aircraft manufacturer, uh, like we do our uh, transformation of the Piper aircraft together with CA in Canada, uh, we are with these airplanes for the next 10 to 20 years. Uh, so the cash flow stream is guaranteed because it's certified with this technology and you cannot change it to something else. You have to recertify the aircraft. And this, of course, takes time, big efforts. Uh, so patience, but means big rewards in the future. Fantastic. Thank you very much. I think that was also a very nice um, way to wrap things up. I would like to thank our speakers, Andre Borschberg, Christian Rosting, and Matthew Parr for their insights and their time. Thank you. This episode of Founding Conversations starred Andre Bosberg, Matthew Parr, and Christian Rosing. The show is a collaboration between PICTE, one of Europe's leading wealth and asset managers, and How to Academy, London's leading public forum for sharing big thinking. The executive producers are me, Clara Bertrand, and Vasily Christandoulou. The script was by Niall Moran. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for listening.